How you doing, everyone? This is Glenn Gare from the Neepscast, your favorite evolutionary psychology uh, podcast all about evolutionary psychology and particularly connected to the Northeastern Evolutionary Psychology Society. Um, today, we have a special guest, um, a lifetime member of Neeps. He's been to every single Neeps and has been president of our society and a member of the board on multiple occasions. Uh, we are happy to be here with Dan Kruger of the University of Michigan today. How are you doing, Dan? Excellent. Good afternoon, Glenn, and everyone on the internet. Yeah, so, uh, so you and I go way back. I feel like I met you in 2006 at an APS conference one time in New York City. I'm not sure if you remember, but um, that was the same year we went to HBAS. I think I might have bumped into you there as well, and you and I, along with maybe four or five other people really were integral in forming NEEPs from the very get-go. Yeah, I remember uh, Rose Sokol Chang and Sarah Strout yeah. and I were, were talking about this and we're pretty excited that there was interest in starting a regional society that uh, could really reach out to people and have more ge more specific geographic focus than HBES. I mean, HBES, of course, you know, it was a wonderful conference, but, you know, sometimes it's in Japan or Brazil and, you know, not everybody uh, can make it that far. So it was, uh, yeah, fantastic idea. And I'm thrilled, thrilled that it's really thriving in its uh, 13th year and uh, second time in Boston. Yeah, year. yeah, definitely. And, and you know, um, I got to say, I feel like you're... Um, your connection and attendance at the very first NEEPS was, I think, very pivotal. Pivotal Because I remember you sent me an email um, a couple months ahead of the conference, and you pretty much said, um, I see there's this conference in, in April on your campus. Um, I'm in Michigan. I have a friend, Rob Diener, who's also in Michigan. And you pretty much said, does Michigan count? Are we allowed to come? Would that be a good idea for us to come to the meeting of NEEPS? Michigan identifies more as the Midwest. And of course, my answer was, you know, 100% absolutely. Um, got a similar message from Marianne Fisher, who teaches at St. Mary's University at Halifax. And she was kind of like, well, we're further north and east from where you are. So do we count? And of course, you know, the answer was yes. And, uh, Eventually, when we had that first conference, I think we were pleasantly surprised by how broadly um, we were drawing geographically. Yeah, there are a lot of people who are from the, the Northeast, but if you look at the conference programs over the years, we have quite a few people from other parts of the U.S., Canada, and international regulars even. Yeah, yeah. So that's... Uh, that's been a really great part of NEEPS and uh, the, the preliminary schedule for the June conference came out um, just yesterday. I haven't really had enough time to process it, but I looked at it pretty quickly and plan to look at it in more detail, but it looks great. Um, and we have uh, Stacy Makanova from Florida State University and Jimmy Moran uh, from Tulane who are hosting the conference with Marissa Harrison from Penn State Harrisburg as the program chair, and it looks like they've put together a dynamite program. Yeah, looking forward to it. Yeah, so, okay, so a um, couple of standard questions that we, we tend to ask. I, I'm really interested in asking guests 
what is evolutionary psychology to you and why do you think it is important? Well, for me, evolutionary psychology is not a subspecialty or a separate area. You know, people might think of someone who's in social psychology or developmental psychology, and they might think of evolutionary psychology as, oh, well, that's, that's sort of like another section. I mean, really, it's an integrating framework that encompasses, you know, all of psychology and behavior. And the way I like to think about it and present it to folks is through the lens of Tinbergen's four questions. So we have the ultimate explanations, you know, the evolutionary aspects of the, the function and adaptation. So what problem does this adaptation solve? Uh, you have the phylogeny across evolutionary time of when, when it emerged and uh, you know, how it relates to other you know, related, um, you know, related species. And you can sort of track how an adaptation might uh, develop you know, over time and over the generations. Uh, so those are the evolutionary aspects of it that, of course, you know, we're, we're very interested in because I think evolutionary people uh, in particular have an interest in function. Uh, you know, what is this for? You know, why is it, why is it here? Uh, and at the same time, evolutionary psychology really does incorporate this sort of standard perspectives of psychology especially in the proximate explanations. You know, these are, these are not separate explanations. These are part of the larger picture. So I think that social psychology really does tend to focus on causation, you know, the mechanisms behind different phenomena. If you look at, you know, top social psychology journals, uh, you know, it's almost like they're reverse engineering the components of the mind. And, you know, what are the different, you know, gears, that, uh, that turn in relation to this phenomenon, you know, and that's of course part, part of a holistic explanation. And then of course there's development or ontogeny, you know, over the, the life course of a single organism, you know, how does something, how does something develop and emerge? And that's something that of course developmental psychologists have really specialized in focusing on, but really, you know, it, it takes all four of these aspects, the function, the phylogeny, the causation and development to have a, a comprehensive holistic explanation. And I think, you know, when, once people understand that, then I think we could, you know, have more buy-in for the evolutionary framework so that they realize that one, it's not, it's not a separate explanation. You know, it's not a complete, it's not a compete necessarily a competing explanation for, you know, why things are happening, but it's a way to really sort of encompass the standard work on mechanisms, but with a much deeper understanding of why the system is designed the way it is. Yeah, I, one of the things that you said in there pertained to social psychology as an example. And it's funny because I have my PhD in social psychology um, and therefore, of course, identify as a social psychologist. But I will say that I have, with some regularity, had uh, colleagues and, and students uh, be very surprised when they hear me self-identify as a social psychologist. And they're like, oh, I thought you were an evolutionary psychologist. And I, I just kind of like shake my head when I hear that because of exactly the things that you're talking about here that, you know, Darwin's big ideas were never designed to be just like a content area within some academic field. It's a, 
it's a way to understand the entirety of life and you know human social psychological processes is just a subset of the broader the broader scheme of of life in general i think so i i totally agree with you that um that it really is an integrating framework and uh it's but there's partly a, an issue of of pr and marketing um and i know you and i have talked about this a lot over the years so what are you, what are some of your thoughts about maybe resistance that exists regarding evolutionary psychology and some of maybe some experiences or, or anecdotes that you might have about that and some ideas you might have about what scholars in the field might do to sort of navigate these particular issues? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot, a lot of the issues arise from misunderstandings about what evolutionary psychology is, you know, what, what, uh, you know, kind of theoretical approaches people have, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know anyone in the field who's a genetic determinist hmm. you know, who says that humans are hardwired to do X or even men and women are hardwired to do, you know, X and Z, uh, you know, the things like things like that, uh, you know, we, we hopefully can dispel in the, you know, the initial, the initial uh, education and approach so that people can understand that really that's not, that's not what it means to be evolutionary. Um, you know, so genetic determinism, uh, sort of thinking about people as, as fixed forms, you know, sort of like men and women or, you know, members of different groups are, you know, are a certain way. Uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, folks like David Schmidt like to think about, you know, these continuums, you know, so you might have these overlapping continuums, but there's variation, you know, within each sex. And you, you certainly don't have a really sort of rigid categorical, uh, you know, type, you know, type system where right. because of, because of someone's identities, they're, they're going to do X or Y or Z. And, and in a way, I think, uh, you know, the evolutionary approach, uh, can really help us understand the underlying variation and can really give uh, you know a better a better explanation for a lot of the phenomena that we see that you know people sort of tend to categorize and this is something that uh, you know a lot of a lot of folks in uh, other areas of psychology have demonstrated is that you know humans kind of do have a tendency to say something is either or uh, you know, they'll categorize, you know, they'll categorize it into two different categories, even if it is uh, more on a continuum. So that's, you know, that's, that's one aspect I would say. And then I think there are some, uh, you know, also some misinterpretations that, uh, you know, evolutionary psychology is some sort of eugenics program right. that we're trying to breed, you know, the master species or something like that, that, yeah, you know, it's, 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 it's very, very far from the truth. In fact, you know, modern evolutionary biologists and psychologists understand that the rich variation that we have within the human species is all a product of adaptation. You know, adaptation to ancestral environments, adaptation to our current environments, and that is there because it made people successful in the environments that they developed in. Uh, you know, so I think I think that recognition, you know, could also really help dispel some of the concerns that uh, other folks have about 
the evolutionary approach. You know that you know there's no there's no human group that's any more evolved than right. any other. Uh, you know, everyone's ancestors were successful in the environments that they lived in. And yes, we might actually have individual differences. This is a huge area in psychology, you know, personality, right. individual differences. And I think the evolutionary approach to that is to try to understand, well, why would people, you know, differ mm. in this sort of way? What selection pressures might have pushed people, you know, in one direction or the other on, you know, th these different personality factors or what? Sure, absolutely. Um, and I do think that understanding individual differences from an ev evolutionary perspective, when students start learning about that, it really turns on a light bulb for them because they're like, wait a minute, I, I thought this stuff was all about people are this way because their genes make them this way and this kind of thing. And it's like, well, you know, there's, there's variability on introversion and extroversion. There's variability on how much people tend to be narcissistic or not. You know, there's some people that are high and there's some are low. And just understanding, for instance, the concept of balancing selection, you know, that um, if everyone in the population is doing one thing, but then you have an alternative behavioral tendency, it might be um, adaptive in the context of what others are doing and what the environment is like and so forth. So I think you're totally right. That whole idea of individual differences from an evolutionary perspective can really open people's eyes to sort of seeing the, the value in, in really understanding you know, not how we're all the same, but uh, how we're all different and why we're, why we're different and how we can still understand that from an evolutionary uh, vantage point. Right. Uh, um, one thing that I've always been uh, impressed by regarding your work is I tell people that you are an A-plus researcher. Um, I start my evolutionary psych classes by talking about your research on male-to-female mortality ratio, which is just super interesting and, and really um, inspires students, I think, to sort of dig deep and think about the implications of evolutionary psychology for societal outcomes, as an example. Um, so, and, th and then I know you've studied tons of other things as well, and you just have such a great uh, record of research over the years. Maybe you could talk a little bit about the male to female mortality ratio work, um, again, partly because I feel like people find that fascinating. And then maybe you could talk about something uh, a little newer that you've, that you've been working on. Sure. So this is something that I started when I was a, a postdoc at the University of Michigan, uh, working with Randy Nessie. He's one of the pioneers of Darwinian medicine. And this is really when I started combining, you know, research on health with the evolutionary perspective. So we had a research program looking at sex differences and mortality rates and really trying to understand them. And the, the key theme is that, you know, sex differences are a product of sexual selection, right? And they're a product of the different, uh, different levels of mating competition and intersexual selection that uh, organisms experience. So if these sex differences are a product of this mating competition, then we'd expect to see the sex differences in mortality uh, to follow that as well. And that's the consistent theme that we found across uh, a dozen studies that the intensity of male mating competition really drives the extent to which male mortality rates are higher than those than women. Mm -hmm. And this happens across the lifespan. So you see the largest differences 
in late adolescence and young adulthood, uh, you know, just as men are entering into and, and competing most intensely in mating competition, you see this demographically. So, you know, single men, men who are not married, and those who have less resources have uh, higher mortality rates. You see it across across nations based on socioeconomic inequality. So the more the society is a sort of winner-take-all society, the more competition there's going to be to get to the top. And you know, even uh, you know, even polygamy, the degree of polygamy across cultures, uh, you know, has has been a predictor. And there's uh, some really you know, interesting insights and implications that come along with this. So I'm hoping, I think this has been well received in the evolutionary world. I'm hoping that the broader world of public health and medicine uh, will also, you know, take a, take an interest in this line of work. And it could also really help turn, uh, you know, some perspectives on its head. For example, one, one project that we have is looking at, uh, the the concept of patriarchy and sort of re- reverse engineering that from an evolutionary perspective. Mm-hmm. So if you imagine that uh, you know patriarchy is basically the lack of women's empowerment, then women's empowerment would be the the inverse of patriarchy. And what we've found, you know, this is a, a, a paper with Marianne Fisher and Paula Wright, is that you actually see this uh, you know sort of unexpected you know from a, a standard model. A relationship where the higher the degree of patriarchy, meaning that the lower uh, women's empowerment, the greater the sex differences in mortality between men and women. So this this would be paradoxical from sort of the mainstream perspective. It's like, well, if if men are more socially empowered than women, shouldn't they be better off? But you know, really, what we're seeing is that these structures of patriarchy really resemble the sort of uh, not only, you know, economic inequality, but reproductive inequality dynamic in polygamy. And it's, uh, again, a, a, a situation where there's some men who are going to have, uh, you know, an exorbitant amount of wealth and power. You know, these are the patriarchs. It's not that, you know, all men are at the top, but the more uh, unequal it is, the more competition there's going to be for men to get to the top and therefore riskier behaviors and strategies, and that's going to lead to higher mortality rates. So, uh, you know, we've published a paper on this and we include, uh, you know, other factors in there that are, you know, sort of commonly known to influence mortality rates. And we still see this this very strong relationship. So uh, I'm hoping that could be used as an example, not just to see how evolutionary theory can apply to really practical issues and social challenges, but also a way that people can understand that, you know, this is a theory that can help explain patterns in our society. And it doesn't, you know, it's, it's not committing the naturalistic fallacy and saying that, okay, well, you know, this is the way that, uh, you know, humans develop to be. So this is, um, you know, this is the way that society should be. Right. Right. Oh, that's great. um, What journal is that published in? I, I believe that's in um, evolutionary behavioral sciences, which is the NEEPS journal. Yep. Yep. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm definitely going to check that out right after this podcast. In fact, I look forward to reading that. Excellent. Um, okay. So 
Uh, next thing I'd like to ask you about actually goes straight back to NEEPS. So um, we've talked a little bit about NEEPS and the origins of it and so forth. Um, as someone who's been so central to NEEPS for all the years, maybe you can speak a little bit about your perspective on sort of the ethos of NEEPS. And uh, then maybe you could talk a little bit about experiences with, uh, with, in, with mentoring young scholars and students, which I think is a core part of what we do. Sure. You know, and, and the first thing that people will say about NEEPS is that it's a very student-friendly conference. It's great for students. And now, of course, that's, that's very true. It gives people an opportunity not just to, uh, you know, meet academics and researchers that they've heard about in a more relaxed, you know, smaller scale friendly environment, but also the opportunity to actually present and even give oral presentations as, as a student. And, you know, we've, we've really cultivated this. I think uh, this has been part of NEEPS from the beginning. And, you know, we have uh, very good student representation and even, uh, you know, Stacy, I believe, who is the official student representative and the NEEPS Board of Officers. Yeah. So this is, you know, very much part of the conference. And I think this helps to mentor uh, students who are you know, coming through the academic pipeline because we have many examples of people who were undergraduates with one NEEPS member and then they were able to join a graduate program that was led by another NEEPS member. Yes. So it's, it's helped, it's helped uh, students through the academic pipeline and compared to uh, larger conferences, I think it definitely has a much uh, <coughs> friendlier and more inclusive environment so that you know, when people show up, you know, we tell them, like, listen, you're a Neepster, you're just as much a part of the community as anybody else. And I think that, uh, you know, gives people, um, you know, the, the courage to just go up and talk to uh, the, you know, the, the faculty that they see presenting, and even the keynote speakers, which I think Neeps has a very strong reputation for having very strong keynote speakers. Yeah. And these are people that, you know, at a larger conference, whether it's, uh, you know, the Human Behavior and Evolution Society or the Association for Psychological Science, if there's, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people at this conference, then these keynote speakers are just going to be swarmed constantly uh, right. by all sorts of people who want to talk to them. But at NEEPS, people have much more of a personal opportunity uh, to, you know, to interact with, uh, you know, really, really stellar academics. So I think that's very true. And at the same time, I really want to help promote the idea that NEEPS is also a great environment for faculty. And I've seen over the years how NEEPS has acted as a collaboration incubator. And people from different institutions have generated, you know, dozens and dozens of collaborative projects. In fact, yeah. You know, that's something I might, I might bring up at the business meeting. Like, you know, it would be great if we just even had some sort of record of here are all the publications that, you know, arose from collaborations between NEEPS members, because I think it's been, uh, you know, really wonderful environment for, you know, people to meet each other, discuss ideas, and actually get work out into the literature. Absolutely. So many collaborations and projects have come out of it. Um, in fact, I recall when I was the president of society in 2009, I remember giving a PowerPoint presentation, um, a kind of an introductory presentation. And then um, I went through 
and we were only about two years old at that point as a society. And I went through and kind of put up a whole list of publications that had come about from Neep's relevant collaborations. And at that point, I think that there was over a dozen. Um, so I, I think that you're right. I think that if we actually had, maybe we could even target someone to sort of uh, create a web web page and sort of collect those publications. I, th I, I agree with you. I think that there's tons of like really cool um, collaborations. The other thing that I think has been great about NEEPS is it connects not only faculty with faculty from other institutions, um, but it also connects students with students and with faculty from other institutions. So I feel like a lot of the students here at SUNY New Pulse that work with me, for instance, um, have collaborators who are students at other schools and faculty at other schools. And, you know, that's pretty rare for, for students to have, and it really gives them a leg up. Um, so one specific example that we could talk about pertains to our student, Nick Primavera. Um, so Nick is a master student of mine in our psychology program, super sharp kid, very, uh, very strong work ethic and motivated. And, he happens to be a volunteer firefighter. And he gave a presentation last year, a poster presentation, which was a proposed idea. And we allow that for the posters at NEEPS for exactly this kind of reason, um, to help sort of help them develop their ideas and help make connections. And so, uh, Dan, maybe you could talk a little bit about how you connected with, with Nick and what's happened from there. Sure. So I, I met Nick at the conference and I saw his poster and I thought it was it was such an interesting idea. And I said, well, you know, if, if you don't mind, I'd like to help you with this. So I think we talked about it and I joined his uh, thesis committee and then we've been you know, working on the project together. And now the the preliminary results, uh, you know, have just come out and they're very they're very exciting. Mm -hmm. so I'm very much looking forward to Nick presenting the outcome of his project at NEEPS. And this is not the first time, in fact, I've, I've, I've probably collaborated with half a dozen other uh, students in your lab yeah. for yeah. years and generated peer-reviewed publications from this. So, uh, and I'm, I know that that's true for other uh, NEEPS, NEEPS uh, faculty members as well. So that's true. This, so the, the cross-mentorship that we see, uh, you know, is, is really, you know, it's really encouraging and it really helps build collaborations across institutions. And you're right, it gives students access to these other faculty members beyond just who's at their own institution. Uh, you know, oftentimes people are brought there, you know, students are brought to NEEPS by someone in their, in their department. So they already have at least, you know, one evolutionary person there. Right. But, but NEEPS would be an excellent environment for students who discover evolutionary research and realize that really there isn't anyone at their institution who is interested in it or who covers it. So, you know, if they go to NEEPS, then they could be connected to this evolutionary world and to people who would want to help them along the, their evolutionary journey. Yeah, it's, it really has just led to lots of great connections and interactions. And uh, one, I guess, final thing I want to say about our relationship over the years, um, 
is I will never forget this. And I guess I just want to publicly thank you for this. When I gave a, a presentation at HBAS, Human Behavior and Evolution Society, I believe it was in California in about- at Fullerton. In Fullerton. I think it might've been 2009, 2010, somewhere around then. And uh, it was a packed house. There was, I don't think people were there for me, but the session I was in was a really- had a lot of really interesting and high profile speakers that were kind of in this, in the session. So it was a giant packed room and all the, all the important players were in there and I was supposed to give the last talk and I had my floppy disk or whatever it was back then. And I couldn't get my technology to work. And I remember thinking this is, you know, this may well be the worst um, fail of my entire professional career and somehow or another, I don't even remember the details, but Dan, you showed up with your, with your Mac and with some extra cord and within about one minute, my presentation was up on the screen and I was able to give it and I think it went reasonably well. And I owe you a huge debt of gratitude for that. I just want to say that. Great. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah, I remember that very well because you had convened uh, you know, some of the leading luminaries in the evolutionary world and it was a standing room only uh, audience and I think it, there was an issue of the adapter between your computer and the projection system. Yeah, and I happened to have the very adapter that you needed, so I remember running down the steps and just plugging it in. And I think because we knew each other, right? You know, I was able to do that. Like we didn't even have to discuss it, right? Right. Uh, and that, and then you were up and running. Yeah, yeah. So, and, and that to me, that sort of is an anecdote that captures the spirit of Neeps. I kind of feel like, you know, a lot of people use the word that we're kind of like a family or kind of like a tribe. Um, but, you know, I feel like we, we can really lean on other members of the society. And I think that uh, that's been just such a great part of, of being part of it over the years. Yeah, no, I, I, and I've heard that again. I think uh, Gordon Bear likes to, to talk about it, especially, uh, you know, that Neeps, Neeps, Neeps really does feel like one's home tribe. And at the same time, you know, we don't have any hazing or initiation to get in. You know, Correct. If you, you come to Neeps, you're a Neepster. You're a member of the tribe. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's a very inclusive environment. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm glad to say that we have our 13th annual conference coming up. That will be June 2nd to 4th in uh, Boston, Massachusetts. And uh, hopefully people are listening that are not sure if they're going to come or not are hopefully going to be inspired to a uh, to join our tribe. So uh, this has been Dan Kruger from the University of Michigan. And uh, Dan, our final thing that we do is we ask our podcast guests for an evolution psychology themed haiku. So let's hear what you got. As shown by Neeps, including Darwin Evolves, our psychology. There you go. I could not agree more and you fit the structure perfectly. So Dan, thank you so much and I will see you in Boston. Looking forward, Glenn. Yep, take care.